Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My Song Suck would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to them and their cultures and to the elders both past and present. Hello and welcome to My Song Suck, the show where we listen to bad songs from good writers. I'm Alex Smith and I'm a musician. I'm James Keogh and I'm the friend of a musician. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 8, season 3 of My Song Suck. I'm Alex Smith. I'm James Keogh. Wow, there we go. <laughs> the delay isn't that bad. Uh, and we're joined today by a very special guest. Um, I'm going to read a bunch of stuff about him. Here he Do is. It. Oh, God. Uh, Benedict Braxton Smith. Uh, Benedict is an Australian music director, composer, and orchestrator based in New York City and is currently the associate conductor for the Mean Girls. National tour. Benedict's work has been heard in venues all around the world, including Broadway, Off-Broadway, Brisbane, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., Tokyo, and London. Recent credits include Associate Music Director and Orchestrator, orchestrator for Christian Chenoweth. Oh, I said that wrong. For, girl, for the girls, Broadway, and Associate Music Director and Copyist for Cyrano, Off-Broadway, starring Peter Dinklage. And like so many more things, he also proudly worked extensively on the celebration of Sondheim's 90th birthday, benefiting A-Step. With lyrics, book writer Megan Peterson. There's too many things to read in one go. Uh, but most importantly, he also did the Pokemon Live musical. But most and most importantly, he orchestrated the the theme tune for our show, and that's the real achievement here. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, he did, yeah, right. <laughs> he did. Oh, Look at the yeah. shocked faces. The, the theme tune is Mr. Heads and Tails. You did the. I thought I recognized. Yeah, man, that was all you. <laughs> And you also did the the guilty choir section. I was like, make this good, and then you did. This wow. is, it's Benedict Braxton Smith. Uh-huh. Hi guys, nice to be here. Mm. From to have America, you. all the way from sunny, sunny Arizona. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, you've spent a lot of time in New York, but you're you're currently in Arizona. Um, I am indeed. Yes, I lived in New York for for the best part of two and a half years before then I like spent and then after that I spent a lot of time just around I worked in Connecticut for like 12 months and back and forth from New York and then I you know obviously went on tour with uh, Mean Girls and spent a bunch of time in Florida uh, before you know the pandemic and now I'm in Arizona (laughs) yes but before all that before all these United States adventures uh, you were right here right here in our country yeah, our Brisbane sure. boy. Our Brisbane boy. A bud. Yeah. Born and somewhat bred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was I was born in Brisbane, but then I, I grew up in Latin America and then on like like my sixth just before my sixth birthday, we moved back to Australia. Hmm. Hmm. Didn't know that. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, we just <laughs> we find out new things every day, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to lead with all your accomplishments because yeah, you, you did come from Small town Brisbane, Australia. You're the a Cinderella story of musicianship. The... I'm not sure if you've read Cinderella, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you made it all big because you're working on Broadway and doing all sorts of cool things. 
so do you want to tell us a little bit about your, your early days? How did you start with music? And Because I, I, when I met you, you were very, very, very good already. And you were only 17. Oh, you stop it, yeah. <laughs> you stop it, yeah. True, we've known each other for eight years now. Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, that's terrifying. I feel old. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so how did I start? I So when, when we were in Latin America, we lived in Santiago, Chile, and my... Uh, my, par- my parents are very passionate parents and they basically had like two rules. They were like, you're learning an instrument, you're learning a language. Uh, and obviously living in, uh, in South America and living in Santiago, we were learning Spanish as well as English. And so the only other criteria was uh, an instrument. And so my mom got a teacher to come and she happened to be what's called like a Suzuki piano teacher, uh, where they're not teaching you to read notes or dots. They're teaching you to, to learn by ear. Ooh. Uh, so I spent like a year with her learning piano by ear where basically she'd like play something to me and I'd have to play it back. And then, you know, it, I had a tape to listen to at night with all these songs and it, it was all about oral training, um, oh. which, you know, I will be doing to my kids when I'm an adult uh, because I like, credit that <laughs> with <laughs> any any conceivable skill I have nowadays. Um but yeah, then when we moved back to Australia, obviously I like started taking classical piano lessons, classical and inverted commas. I did the whole AMEB thing, mm. but it never really took. Uh, and I really didn't like playing piano. And I made that very clear to my mom and she made it very clear to me that that didn't matter. <laughs> uh, and we just like kept slugging away. I was like crying my way through lessons. Uh, and eventually when I was like convinced my mom that I really wanted to quit she was like how about we just change teachers instead because she is a genius (laughs) and so I started learning with this guy called Kent Farbach Dr. Kent Farbach who's a not only a phenomenal jazz pianist and classical pianist but also a world-renowned composer and he uh and yeah I I I, like had one lesson with him and fell in love with piano again and my like skill level, I went from being just like an incredibly subpar AMEB pianist to being like quite serviceable very, very quickly. And I just like took lessons with him until I guess I was leaving a high school. So I must have been at least like 17. Um, but then we, you know, we stayed in touch uh, to, to this day functionally. Um, you know, we still chat whenever I'm back in Australia and I go over to his house and try and like just knock on his door. I never call ahead. I just like knock on his door and I'm like, hello, <laughs> time to call up. Um, but yeah, and then throughout school, I also like, you know, in grade three, I learned the cello. In grade four, I started learning the trumpet and learned that for 10 years. I started teaching myself guitar in like grade eight. I started teaching myself drums in grade eight. Uh, yeah, and then kind of like, I was playing in you know big band like jazz band whatever you call it swing band uh like the wind symphonies uh, and like smaller ensembles a percussion ensemble i just like filled my my high school days with various bands <laughs> uh and then uh god leaving high school i wanted to join the military band uh was very convinced i was going to join the armed forces and then my dad and mum convinced me otherwise <laughs> um, <laughs> and I went to law school and that lasted uh, 12 months, 18 months before I kind of dropped the law and stuck with just a degree in psychology and like pursued, started to pursue musical theater. I like very accidentally started to pursue musical theater. I'd always been, I was like hyper, it's so weird. I like think of myself as very late to the game because any American I speak to has been like doing musical since they were six. (laughs) Whereas like 
I guess I started liking musicals in like grade 12, <laughs> maybe grade 11. I like saw uh, Cats first. Wait, Cats yeah. was the musical that broke you into musicals? <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, one of my professors has a theory that like your first musical that you see uh, defines you as an artist. <laughs> oh, no. It was like, there's some way it'll be filmed in there. So I guess I'm destined to, you know, Cats. Um, so sorry for you. Which I stand by. Cats is grossly misunderstood, uh, <laughs> but that's not this podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I came, I came to musical theater like super late. Uh, so like Cats and Jesus Christ Superstar were my first two like big ones. Mm-hmm. And I like I remember I went to see the Harvest Rain production at, at yeah, it must be the Harvest Rain production of Jesus Christ Superstar at uh, at QPAC. And then I just like <laughs> sat and watched the 2000 movie. <laughs> literally on repeat for months i know that movie like the back of my hand (laughs) i just it was on youtube at the time uh sorry andrew lloyd webber um and i just like constantly and i did the same thing with cats uh and then yeah i guess when in like 2012 i auditioned for avenue q even though i was a year too young according to the audition notice but they let me in anyway i met zane the inimitable zane c webber uh and a bunch of people and then like later that year I did lights for you're in town and then from that next year onwards I just like I did a bunch like anything anything anybody asked me to do in the theater world I did a lot of sound for some reason but ultimately I was playing keyboards and piano a lot and I started music directing and obviously through this whole time I'd considered myself quite the composer uh from even like I remember in like the sixth grade I was kind of obsessed with writing music down and doing arrangements the the first arrangement I ever remember doing (laughs) I did a takedown and orchestration of uh, the of the Hobbiton theme from Lord of the Rings. Oh, nice! I bet I could find it somewhere if I really tried, um, and I bet it's I bet it's probably the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> it's all been downhill, um, but so I, I kind of kept writing, and I was like kind of passively writing songs on my time off, and then I eventually like wrote a twenty minute musical uh, that I was calling "Such Is the Ned Kelly Rock Opera," and then. A friend of a friend's dad suggested to that friend of a friend who told my friend who told me that it should be called Metalhead because that's hilarious. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. So I retitled it Metalhead and then Underground Productions did a production of it in 2015. Hmm. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, it's funny how you forget literally all of your history and can't do it in a straight line. Meanwhile, I'd like decided to, after I got my psych degree, I decided to like go into the academic music world. And so I did a postgraduate certificate of composition. And then I did, and then I like got my BMUS. Um, I did like an accelerated BMUS just before I left for the States. Um, and then yeah I wrote a bunch more and then I like accidentally I I got rejected very importantly I got rejected from the Royal Academy uh, for their music director's school um they told me I didn't know enough about musicals before 2000 which was true Uh, and and my rejection didn't come as a letter it came as a uh as just a website that said unsuccessful oh well (laughs) which was heavy uh I also got rejected from VCA and I framed that letter (laughs) <laughs> but mainly because I thought it was hilarious how it was worded. It like it, it felt like I was trying to be political and be friendly, but <laughs> it accidentally came across really harsh. It was like a, it was something along the lines of like, "Thank you so much for applying. Uh, we had a, 
a huge number of applications this year. And unfortunately, you were not of the requisite quality. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, a simple no would suffice. But yeah. that's fine. Uh, not of the requisite quality will be the name of my 54 below camera. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I kind of, so after all that, after I got rejected from the Royal Academy, I went into this like crazed application stage of my life where I just applied for everything, anything I could. And like, that's when I like, one I like won an award that I had no recollection of applying for and then there was one night while I was doing carry at the powerhouse that I that somebody like texted me about the NYU program and I looked it up and the application was due in two days and it was like a 35 page monster application Jeez. and I was kind of like ah yeah I'll do it <laughs> uh and you know didn't sleep for 48 hours and wrote two or three songs in that time and produced two or three demos in that time and did all of this crazy application and, you know, accidentally got through to the next round and accidentally had a good interview and accidentally uh, got a place in the class and some financial assistance. And pretty much six months later to the day, I got on a plane and moved to the States. So that's the story up until the States. And that's when it kind of got weird. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds very much like the moral is like, just take all you can get, like do every opportunity that you can. Yeah, yeah. And definitely like the other, the moral that I've been realizing lately is that like everything fantastic that's happened in my life and like the pure moments of joy in career and in, in personal life, they've all been accidents. <laughs> you know, it, it, it isn't like none of this was planned. And, and the best stuff is not the stuff that was planned. Because, you know, my mom actually, I, I remember like a few nights before I left for New York, we had this like dinner, just my mom and I. And we're just like talking about life. And she said like, so she, she remembered that like a month beforehand, I'd said that my 10 year plan was to move to New York. <laughs> and she, she was like, so I guess that happened 10 years early. And what are you going to do now? Right. <laughs> Damn. I was like, oh, I have no idea. And kind of since then, I've kind of willfully not had a 10 year or a five year plan or anything like that. I've kind of just like gone about my way. And yeah, it's led to, it's led to some happy things. Yeah, definitely worked for you so far. And that's, yeah, incredible. It's done the trick. Yeah. <laughs> so something I want mostly. to sort of zoom on in on with that and sort of have a look at is where, where does, so you brought a track for us, obviously, for us to look at at the start here. Mm. Um, uh-huh. where, does, where does that sort of fit into this, you know, chronology that, with that you've sort of laid out here? Where were you? Uh, how old were you? What was how it? How old were you? Were you, were you I, playing in my was... band at the time? <laughs> I was playing in your band at the time. Um, I was definitely playing in your band at the time. Let's think. It was... So the song's called Perfect For You. It was originally from one just awful concept of a show. (laughs) And then I did what all great composers do and removed it from that awful concept of a show and put it in a song cycle with the loose concept to string the songs together. Um, Classic. And yeah, I I wrote it over like a pretty long period just because like sometimes the way I'll write will be that I'll have a musical idea and I'll just like keep it in the old trunk mm-hmm. and then it'll like percolate and it'll percolate. And then eventually when I like actually have a strong enough story idea and, and I get time to just sit down and do it, I'll like sit down and do it in a big chunk mm-hmm. and just do it all at once. And so I guess that happened. I think I wrote it in the States. Oh, in fact I did. I, I, it was 2000, it was the end of 2014, start of 2015. I went for like a three month Rom Springer in America and I like lived in New York for, I toured around the South with a, a school band for a month and then I like 
lived in New York for a month or six weeks. And then I just like traipsed around DC and Washington and, and Chicago and stuff. And I spent a couple, I, I spent a week doing a professional development thing at Goodspeed, this theater that became monumentally influential in my life. But uh, I went back there a week later and over the weekend, somebody in the music department just like let me into a, a room with a piano for an evening. And I sat there and wrote the whole thing in that mm-hmm. evening. Uh, so that must have been like January 2015. And I guess at that point, I'd like, at that point, I hadn't decided that I was a composer yet. Mm. Composing hmm. was still like an accidental thing. Because mm. uh, this was just before I wrote the large chunk of Metalhead. I had, I'd written like a 20 minute chunk beforehand and I still hadn't decided I was a composer. I wrote this song, still hadn't. And then I remember one night when I wrote this song called Ride for Metalhead, where like after I wrote that, I was like, oh, I'm going to, I guess being a composer is part of my life. Uh, <laughs> so this was just still just like a hobby thing. Uh, yeah, that's, I think that's where in the chronology it kind of sits. And then I, I think I rewrote it slightly before I presented it in this song cycle in 2016, but uh, I, I didn't rewrite it enough. Let's, let's say that. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's take a we, listen. Yeah, let's have a listen. Sorry, yeah. James, God. the delay is making us all <laughs> talk over each other. <laughs> seen you here before if I'm not mistaken you sit here sipping at your cafe ole so I thought I'd come over cause I wanted to say the way that you smile makes me wonder and think and I wonder if you'd let me buy you a drink maybe two maybe four Maybe one, two, three more Then we'll kiss at your door Oh, you know the score I can't promise I'm not crazy Or out of my mind But I promise that I'm honest And patient and kind Just think of the things we could do Yes, I could be perfect for you Sugar, one, sometimes two You come here on Wednesdays You like to wear blue The rest is a puzzle I can't wait to put together It might take me days Or maybe forever I'll give you chicken soup for sickness And chocolate cake for pain My jacket when it's cold out Cuddles when it rains We can eat, we can dance we can strike up the band, or we can just hold hands, oh, give me a chance. I promise that you'll laugh, and I promise you'll smile. I promise that I'll follow you mile after mile. Yes, anything I've gotta do, cause I know that I'm perfect for you. 
Eric, did I mention? I'm not trying to scare you. That's not my intention. Our future is waiting. Just say the word. There's this great little deli down 53rd. That's perfect for a perfect first date. So, hey. What do you say? Okay. I include clap tracks in all of my own work. <laughs> um, I should have mentioned beforehand that's uh, Stephen Hurst singing. That's me on the piano, Dominic Woodhead on keyboards. Dominic Ward on guitar, Tom Collins on bass, Alana Ritchie on drums, and Ben Murray on audio. And I would also like to rescind my comment that I'm a songwriter. Um, <laughs> I decided now that I'm not. Uh, I saw you compulsively combing your hair during that. This is a, a form of torture to a lot of people. And just watching yeah. people be like, oh my God, stop. I'm so sorry. That Now, okay, so this song's really interesting, is the thing, because... To, to a beginner person, the thing is like, this is a really well-written song is the thing. The musicality and you can see your background and arrangement and like your, your, your composing. I think the only thing that you're new to here is writing words, you know? So it's curious to me that you seem to find it so bad because I think so many people would like kill to write a song like this. James, I'm, I'm passing the rock to you because of the delay. What do you think? James? I would agree. No, absolutely. Um, me listening to this as an outsider to, yeah, all that stuff is, that Alex was saying, like arrangement and 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 composition and yeah, even lyrics as well. Like this to me um, seems like this kind of song that would fit perfectly into a into a musical. So what specifically? Um, yeah. You know, I think it's it's we get the best answers when we kind of ask. Sure, we think it's yeah. fine, but like what what, what is it that you it? sort yeah. of what is it that I react to so negatively? Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I, 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 I agree entirely with, with the statement that it's like, that there is a certain amount of craft in parts of the writing. Like, you know, some of the music I cannot fault or I can't like directly fault in its like pure construct. Um, God, what do I hate about it the most? <laughs> I guess. Okay. Like the, the, the biggest thing, and I think, you know, it's something that I wouldn't have noticed four years ago. I wouldn't have noticed before uh, I was at, I, I went through the NYU program and I wouldn't have noticed before a really specific professor in the uh, program who, who kind of, his name is Jonathan Bernstein, and I'm sure he won't mind me referring to him as this. He kind of like, if, if I could call one of our teachers the oh captain, my captain teacher, who would like make you stand up on the desks or like, oh, I have class outside. It was him. Mm. Um, and he 
he never really spoke about the like pure mechanics of writing. He spoke a lot about why we write and what we write. And one of his big things that he always pushed me in particular to do was write stuff that mattered. Mm. Uh, his big thing was just like crook, like crook your elbow, bring things closer to you and write something that matters and means something and is true. Not true in the sense that like it actually happened to you or anything like that, but just that it's like real mm. and, it, and it means something. And my biggest reaction when I listened to that song again because i listened to it on my run this morning because i figured that was the only way i could listen to it because <laughs> i'd be like i'm running away from my lack of skill <laughs> um was that it it just means nothing like on on the surface sure it's the this two perspectives it's about a, a guy who's gone up to a girl he's had a crush on at a cafe for you know months and asks her out and she says yes the other perspective is that he's kind of creepy because mm. uh, he's like notice all this stuff about her but you know like what's the song about nothing what what's it a, what do i relate to it and what could anyone relate to it and kind of nothing it's like it, it, it paints a very beige picture of of uh of love i guess and there's you know speaking from just like a construct level as well one of my favorite ted talks of all time is bobby lopez's ted talk on his writing and he plays these songs that he wrote when he was like 12 that sound great mm. But they, but he points out that like they feel empty. And he says it's because I'm writing it uh, for me and the wrong reasons. He, he was like, essentially, like what I read in this piece is I'm what I'm doing when I'm writing that song is saying like, look how clever I am. Mm-hmm. And like, look how much Sati I've listened to. You know, I even like I quote Gymnopathy in it which is which is clever uh but it means nothing uh there's so many just like lyrics that are clever for the sake of being clever but it's you know it's not it's not that i'm writing a character who is very clever it's Mm. that i am writing i'm writing clever lyrics saying like look at me i'm clever Mm. and you know there's that (laughs) it says uh you know who would have thought it would happen in this little french cafe so it says french cafe uh because I needed a word that had one syllable and slipped before cafe to make it rhyme in the right place. Because mm. um, apparently I cared about rhyme there, but not that much in other places. <laughs> uh, and then at the end, I'm like, there's a great little, ca- there's a great little like, deli or something. Deli, yeah. Not a cafe, but a deli. Great little deli down, down 53rd, which is me saying like, look at me, I know New York. <laughs> like it's it's just very bobby lopez describes it as the same thing it's like it's look at me it's mm. like the, the purpose you're writing for is like you're writing for the sake of showing how intelligent you are mm. which now thinking about it i'm like that is painful um you know obviously i mentioned the fact that there's lyrics <laughs> that just do not rhyme uh, or where they do it's it's you know half rhymes or slant rhymes which i appreciate in like Contemporary sensibilities and pop sensibilities, not really a problem in theater sensibilities can be a problem. Uh, You don't have to rhyme, but like, especially when there's lots of words going on or a long, any kind of long phrase, what rhyme does is just like anchors it. So people Mm. understand it the first time they hear it because Mm. theater is fleeting and you can only hear it once. And if you miss a sentence, you could not understand the show and so like rhyme is just something to latch onto for the ear and so i find it hard, genuinely hard to listen to some of those lyrics because hmm. not only do i not have something to latch onto but i'm very distracted by the fact that dance does not rhyme with hands or band <laughs> and you know that like that takes me out of it for a moment because mm. the the audience's ear expects rhyme mm-hmm. uh 
and one of our professors was like strongly of the opinion that like you should rhyme unless you're very specifically not rhyming Mm, um for a good reason and you know it's just I could go on and on about what sucks about the song I guess the other thing that really bothers me listening to it is that there's so much that's accidental in it and there's so much ink I put on the page that was not on purpose and I take issue with that now because I I just like believe that now any piece of ink I put on a page I should mean and should be defensible and that's my new like criteria for Hmm. what I write is that like every note every word every articulation every thing has to be intentional and if I don't have a reason behind it then probably shouldn't be there I have a question on that topic sure um because a a lot of these guest episodes are really just me learning from from the masters (laughs) um I because I try to live by that in the tense of like only do things if you mean them but sometimes I find myself in a spot where I'm like I can't find another way to say this or like I can't find any rhyme that makes sense here but like this is the really important lyric that I need and I can't find anything here and sometimes I'll be like I'll put this here for now because it kind of does it and then I can never think of a better thing do you what do you do when you find yourself and or do you even find yourself is that the next level where you don't get into those situations yeah no I'm pretty much perfect at this <laughs> um yeah I mean obviously oh yeah no answer to that question I guess it's just like try try again Mm. try try again you know there's always more where that came from Mm. maybe maybe there's a better way of saying the thing you wanted to say maybe it doesn't need to rhyme in that maybe there's a different way of setting that lyric maybe there's a different way of treating it Mm. Uh, you know if it's really that like hyper important you know I actually had an issue in this song I wrote that exact issue where I like wrote a sentence that I thought was like this is the crux of the song Mm. and it was it was it's okay to not be okay I was like, this is what I'm trying to say. It was like advice. It was genuine advice from my father to me that I turned into a song. Mm. And uh, I wrote like, it's okay to not be okay. And I was like, what do I write in the line before that? And I thought for ages. And I was like, oh God, if this line is that important, just repeat the damn thing. Interesting. And so I did. It was like, (laughs) it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. Works like a charm. That was a very inelegant solution, but you know, there's just always a solution. I just think that's the like the crux of writing. Ultimately, is just coming up with solutions for problems that you create for yourself. Yeah. Hmm. Do you find that it's more of like a you've got this toolbox of of ways to approach these things, or is it just a case by case thing of like, oh, I'll just see how it how it works out and what works for the particular song? Are you are you sure you didn't go to writing school? <laughs> Yeah, tool, toolbox is the exact is like the exact phrase. I mean, oh, right. I I do not consider myself a master writer in any sense of the term, but like what I do know is that you is that it's precisely a toolbox, and like that's that's what you're taught in any kind of writing school is a toolbox of of craft, mm. uh, because you know art is like equal parts craft and inspiration. Let's use that word, um, and. And obviously, like one enables the other, you know, art, art without the art that's all craft and no inspiration is bollocks and art that's all inspiration and no craft is bollocks. Right. It's, it's, you know, like, I, I think architects are like a great thing to consider because an architect both has to be inspired and has to know how to make sure a building doesn't fall down. Mm. Uh, and that's exactly what you're doing. And yeah, it's just toolbox upon toolbox upon toolbox. And then also just the willingness to like find new solutions, I think, because ultimately like the new solution, the frontier solution 
uh, is always the most exciting one, the thing that nobody's done before. Right. But yeah, you know, it's craft and toolbox uh, are just so valuable. One of the uh, first name drop of the day, Michael John Lacuser uh, was one of our professors and maybe the most inspirational thing he ever said <laughs> was that uh, he said, when, when the night runs long, the inspiration runs low and the whiskey runs even lower, craft is all you've got. Uh, and, <laughs> good. I, and I was like, mm, that's a little nugget. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a toolbox of solutions or just tricks. Before this, you were, you were writing more instrumental stuff, as far as I'm aware. Um, so this, this kind of seems like one of your earlier songs to have lyrics to it. Why, 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 why did you make the change? Oh, God, not many people go to see new music concerts. I don't know. <laughs> I think it was, it was just like a natural progression of my interest. I like wanted to write musicals mm. and someone had to write the lyrics and I didn't have a lyricist. Mm. Um, obviously, I now do. Um, and I now, interestingly, like I've made a full 360 journey because I went from like just writing, I, I you know, obviously wrote like, tried to write symphonies and nonsense like that. Um, mm. And like artsy new music pieces when I was at the con. Um, and then I started writing my own lyrics and like went so far in that. But then at the NYU program, you're like, you're institutionally pigeonholed into either like music or words. Mm. Um, and I was obviously pigeonholed into music. And so I spent two years like pretty much just writing music short, short of one class a week where I'd write a song every two weeks and I'd write lyrics. Mm. I was like only writing music and I got to like really hone in on that. And you, you know, where I'm at now is that I still do write lyrics and the song we're playing at the end, I did write the lyrics for and they're still like, I always try and keep one project on the, on the burner at a time that like I am creating words for mm. or creating lyrics for rather, I should be specific. Um, and, uh, but now I, I predominantly work with lyricists because collaboration is key and I would rather I'm better served. My toolbox is better served for spending nine hours working on music than it is served for spending four and a half hours working on music and four and a half hours working on lyrics. Mm. Because I, I especially love when I'm working with a lyricist and we do what we call music first, where like I write large chunks of the tune with not a single lyric because that doesn't let me fall on the crutch of just like setting what I'd call set and forgetting, like setting the lyric, just like making the lyric sing. It makes me like genuinely think about every note in the music and like why it matters and why it's telling that story. Mm. Uh, and I just think I can get deeper into that when I'm not considering everything else at the moment. I'm still finding a way to like synthesize that skill because I still do love writing lyrics. And in the last two or three years, I've become a book writer as well. And like, I love writing book. I love writing scripts. Um, even though I was awful at it in the past. Uh, and I'm just like still finding a way to synthesize and be able to like put all the craft I can into lyrics uh, and into music. But my toolbox for lyrics is so much lighter than my toolbox for music hmm. as it stands. James, do you have any questions? <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry. Just a little lull. Uh, no, I, I wanted to kind of, cause obviously, you know, this is a very musical theater song. You, you're very much kind of in the realm of musical theater, um, but you mentioned especially coming to the States that you felt that you're very new to musical theater in comparison to these, these other people, what kind of, what was that like? And where do you sort of feel you stand now? Um, I'm 
I, it was just weird. It, it was like a big, obviously it was like one of one of a, a trillion big culture shocks. Mm. It was just that like every, everyone who did musical theater had basically been like doing it since they were a kid. Right. Uh, at all levels. And so these people, you know, I, I had the best part of somewhere between 50 and 100 credits by the time I got there. But like these people had been doing summer stock for years. And uh, yeah, I guess it was weird. I never really felt like artistically behind i guess Mm. i maybe partially my like my knowledge of the canon was less than it should be and it's always less than it should be right i can i i can as as the royal academy so kindly pointed out i can and should know more about more musicals Hmm. um and you know i'm obviously consciously working on it uh but i was still like pretty hard a theater kid like to the core Mm. There were, I, I you know listened to nothing but show tunes at that time obviously now I can't stand listening to show tunes <laughs> but yeah I felt like it was just like a different angle I came from you know it meant that you know, coming to NYU I I had like a pretty deep theoretical background in music um thanks to obviously you know going to school for it um going to university for it god damn I've been in America for too long um <laughs> and and yeah I guess I, I me and a handful of other composers in the class like definitely came from a similar angle of like music theory especially like jazz theory and yeah that just meant that I had like a slightly different angle to others but that I had to like learn a multitude of angles obviously because that's what makes a good person but yeah I guess I've never felt ostracized or I've never felt not like a theater kid right um, it's just a it's just like a, a you know completely different world and that's a totally different podcast to talk about how america is different from australia yeah. but um but yeah did i answer your question oh yeah no for sure <laughs> how did you get onto broadway <laughs> by accident good question well crafted um <laughs> well so after i to, to do the quick version after i graduated nyu two or three weeks before i graduated i got a facebook message from the associate music director at the goodspeed opera house which was where i did some professional development uh three years prior and they messaged he messaged me and he was like hey do you have any plans for the summer i see you're in the states we might need some help up here and i was like yes please to god i need a job um but very cool i was like yeah i think i've got some availability um <laughs> i think i can pencil you in yeah and uh and obviously you know i, I interviewed and blah, blah 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 and i got this job as the music assistant on a development of uh, cyrano up there and then they offered me another job up there on another show and then a full-time job the next year. And obviously I took all of those, but then during 2019, yes, last year, while I was there full-time, uh, Cyrano had gotten its transfer to the city and uh, they'd cleared out the music team and were rehiring uh, from the top down basically. And they hired uh, Mary Mitchell Campbell, who's very well renowned for the Adams family and Big Fish and Mean Girls and being Kristen Chenoweth's personal MD and running a phenomenal nonprofit and she's just infinite and uh, you know just one of the greatest people um, and she got my contact details from the National who was the band who wrote uh, Cyrano because they had when they were asked about uh, the score and like how they can how Mary Mitchell could get access to it they were like you know there was this guy Benedict up at Goodspeed who kind of like kept kept it in pretty tip-top shape and he's the one who'd who'd have the best copy of it so she got my email address from them and 
we back and forth and had a phone call and we'll very regularly speak about that phone call when we because we like both realized in that moment we were like oh we're going to be friends <laughs> um and so obviously I was uh I was offered a job on Cyrano and so I went to the city and did that and uh, I was offered one job which became another which became another and I ended up being the associate music director and uh the copyist and the music assistant and the ghost various things uh and we were sitting <laughs> We were, she surely won't mind me telling this story. We were sitting there at like the tech table during previews uh, and we were just like sitting and going about our work. And she was just like on her computer and she sighed and she was like, you know, Benedict, you might get your first Broadway credit out of me today. <laughs> and I was like, go on. <laughs> um, and, and she was just like, listen, we're doing this, uh, this Kristen Chenoweth solo show uh, at the Needlelander. Um, and it, she was like it's just blown up we've just gotten the set list and it's huge and there's so much and she was like would you would you and i was like yep uh and so uh, you know she she brought me on to that show and uh that was awesome one of the greatest experiences of my life obviously um it was wild i didn't sleep uh, over those like four weeks getting it set up um and the cool thing about working for mary mitchell is uh she doesn't believe in power structure at all she believes in the power to empower and it, her teams are built very like laterally rather mm. than vertically you never kind of get this feeling of like i'm working for this person i'm working for this person that's above my pay grade it's kind of like your pay grade is what you can do um and so when you're working with her on something you kind of just like get to do a bunch of stuff uh and so yeah she made there were there were kind of three of us who worked it was myself um and two really good friends, Nick, uh, Nick Connors, who's just a phenomenal orchestrator, and Mark Galinovsky. And we kind of like between the three of us, we, we collected a bunch of charts that are all being orchestrated for Kristen because she's done, you know, a thousand performances, a thousand solo concerts. And we gathered some that she'd already done. And then we figured out, you know, what was new and what hadn't been orchestrated yet. And then like between the three of us, uh, we, we just like orchestrated the rest of the show and prepped the parts and put it together and you know like I put together a template for it and we just like went and retemplated everything to make sure all the parts looked pretty for everyone uh and we kind of just like ragtag team and then obviously you know we had special guests every single night at the show <laughs> so it was just kind of like a wild probably six weeks all up of just you know doing whatever was necessary to keep this to like keep the show going and that was just awesome fun like it was an unspeakably awesome experience and you know working with Kristen was awesome and even more so working with like that particular music team that particular band uh was great but once again total accident not what I thought I'd be doing definitely not what I thought uh, my first Broadway credit would be <laughs> amazing should we well because yeah. I can say you've brought us well actually no I've got one important question here we go uh, did you meet Hamilton did you meet <laughs> Have you met Hamilton? It's a good question, though. Please do answer. Have, have you met Hamilton? Have you I met, met Lin-Manuel? No, I haven't met Lin-Manuel. No, Hamilton. No. <laughs> the real Hamilton from the, the past. Real Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. No. no. Or Hal uh, Leonard. No, I have not. <laughs> but good question. Thank you. Wow. Did you go to journalism school, Alex? <laughs> I did not. That's, um, uh, that's hilarious. No, I have gotten to meet with like very cool people, but, uh, you know. I will always say that like the coolest people I've gotten to meet and work with are not the like any of the famous people. You mm. have met some yeah. very cool people though. That's I have insane. met some, you know, cool people. I never, I never thought that during uh, 
that I would be during a global pandemic uh, working on a logic file with Meryl Streep's voice in it. I never thought wow. that that would happen, but it, it obviously happened. Um, Oops, yeah. Sorry, you um, you just dropped that name just there. Oh, sorry, I'll oh, oh, yeah, yeah, just yeah, it dropped it. Just dropped it a bit. Uh, yeah, listen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have. That was bad taste, Benedict. Uh, but yeah, the, I guess it's just yeah. The, the coolest people I've I've worked with are like, like are all just like good friends who who are like music team people who are not the word. I mean, you can't be musical theater famous like musical theater famous is not famous famous right unless you're Lin-Manuel um but yeah just some like phenomenal I I always like to I've I have always surrounded myself with people who are far more talented than me far more skilled and far better people and I pride I pride myself on that accidentally and purposefully being the case um and yeah you know every day I'm very grateful that I have these like communities of people that I get to hang out with and chat with and work with and play Jackbox games with during a global pandemic who are just you know, phenomenal people who I aspire to, to be like both professionally and personally. Amazing. Um, so you, yeah. you've brought us some multiple music bits to, for, for the end. We got some snippets. Yeah, some snippets. We have snippets. Yeah, well, so I wanted to make a point. Yeah, let's, okay. let's, let's, what's, what's this point? What's the point? <laughs> Get to the point, Ben. Gotta make your point, Ben. You get three the, snippets, other people get one. What is this point? I know, I know I'm greedy. I mean, I guess what my what my point was, because what I think I learned, because I like I, I learned a lot by just listening back to, to Perfect For You and a whole series of other bad songs I wrote, hmm. trying to think about which one was the worst and which one I should send you guys. Uh, I learned something very valuable that I wanted to put into words so that it stays with me and that maybe someone else might hear it. But, you know, my... One of my biggest problems with Perfect For You is that anybody could have written it. Mm. And I mm. think that is a waste of my time then. Mm. And that that's a waste of being yourself. And that like literally anyone could write, you know, a, a damn like French waltz like that. That was kind of all generic. Uh, and that ultimately I should be spending my time doing the things that only I can do. Because then I'm, I'm fulfilling <laughs> like platonic ideal of my worth <laughs> and of my like uh oikos my like purpose of being on the earth uh and so i try and like let that command uh what i do and obviously i brought in my like good song that i wrote the lyrics for that will play at the end which is which was a very unique thing for me in its style but i want to show something else that that was like the moment where i realized what i write that feels unique to me and it's that i I realized that like I'm at heart a percussionist, even in how I play piano, I'm a percussionist, uh, <laughs> you know, cause I, I use it and I dig into the thing and there's certain techniques I use that are very percussion like as far as like the relationship between my two hands and that like ultimately as far as groove goes, which I care about so much, I like really care about the beat and, and rhythm. And then I also care about the human voice and extending it in non-traditional ways. I care about just like doing cool things you know, beat, putting beatboxing to the side, I like think of rhythm very vocally. Mm. And so we were sitting down to write this character called the hunter in me and Megan Peterson's show, Dr. Fox and the Impossible Cure for Death, which is about a 13 year old girl and her children's book author father, who is, uh, who's just been diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. And it's about how they deal with the impossible circumstances laid before them as they try and accept the fact that they're spending their last 
days together and she ends up escaping into one of his children's books and she meets this character that he's just created called the hunter who is this like embodiment of um of cancer and of of death and he he is described as like he like trudges through the earth and leaves a, a trail of dryness and death behind him and he dries everything out and when thinking about like the sound of him i started thinking about a, a tom Waits song a little drop of poison which is just like an excellent song and at the start of that you hear tom Waits breathing very rhythmically mm. uh and it, too. it's exhausting a fine vintage. What is it, it like gets into you um mm. And so I was like, oh, how can I use breathing percussively? And how can I like make something out of that? And so I, I literally sat with <laughs> with GarageBand and like and used it as a loop pedal and just started like looping things together. And and I came up with this just like beat of four simple breath patterns, uh, which obviously in this track is just one person on each of them, but in the production it's you know, ten people on each of them, and it's this big stereophonic thing. Uh and then I like lined that up with a, a piano pattern, which was like very distinctly my kind of like percussiveness. And I wanted it to be like earthy and aggressive and, and unrelenting. And while the like beat is kind of smooth and slow, I wanted it to have a lot of movement because I wanted him to feel like both static and ever moving. And so I wrote, I, I, the first track I sent is literally just the groove because I want to show you how I started thinking about what I could write. So this is just the groove. So like, obviously when I, I like put that together and sent it to my collaborator and she was like, that's awesome, I love that. And she went away and started working on some lyrics. Uh, and then when it came to like thinking about the rest of the music and thinking about what I'd set up, I knew that one of my biggest faults in the past was deciding to move chords constantly because I felt like it had to be harmonically interesting. But I was like, no, this guy moves when he damn well wants to and he's going to stay in one place as long as he needs. In, he's like lugubrious. Is that the right word? He's, he, he's slow and he's and he takes his time because like obviously in a in a piece talking about someone dying time is this, this like fundamental component and mm. more than anyone he takes his time even in his speech he's this like slow and measured person who's always like just a tiny bit slower than you want him to be <laughs> and then the other so I, I took that element of him taking his damn time and then I was thinking about the like harmonic language and I you know I'm very I'm very firm nowadays with myself about like if if you can easily, if I can easily name the genre of a piece that I've written, I've not written it well enough because mm. I've just done, I've just done funk and that's boring for me. Uh, and so I was like, I committed myself to pulling stuff from <laughs> so many genres, so many worlds. Cause like ultimately when talking about cancer, it, it's non-discriminating and he attacks everywhere. And so obviously in the ultimate orchestrated version of this, it's like this, you know, shakuhachi and djembe and, uh, you know, like a, like tango inflected violin writing and accordion, and I I wanted to just like stretch across this world and use this like particular harmonic mode that you could call it Spanish Phrygian, maybe it's kind of Spanish Phrygian, um, but it it kind of just 
it sits it sits in a certain place in your body oh and this flamenco guitar which is my favorite part um and so i wrote this while back in australia for a week i sat down at the con and i wrote this melody for this first a that is the second chunk and it is i think to this it's the song that we sell the show on now and it's like what it is easily one of my proudest things i've written if someone says like what do you write like this is what i'd send them which is this track the hunt is on i've got time to kill and endless rounds my nose is sharper than a hound i know where you are and where you've been where you'll be next you won't need skin if you hide i've already won and the game is more fun if you run so cool thanks alex uh so i should have mentioned <laughs> that's lyrics by Meg, by megan peterson uh the most phenomenal collaborator in the world uh and featuring an ensemble of me and uh ben rosebury singing the the role of the hunter which is doubled with the role of the father in the show Oh, cool. Well, if it ever comes up, uh, I think Nathan Fillion would be a good fit for The Hunter, if you ever want my casting advice. That's so funny. You've actually, like, yeah, yeah, you've, you're, you're, like, pretty close to our, uh, when we talk to our casting directors at NYU, we have to give them our, our like, ideal stunt casting. And Nathan mm. Fillion might have been in that mix. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm a genius. Um, but, but, I mean, Ben, Ben Rosebury is just, like life-changing as the hunter it's it's he he truly invented that role he's the only person who's ever played it in any kind of reading um and he you know we spent we've spent literally years with him now like working on the voice and the dialect and the like style of his movement and and you know ben just like gets it and ben's this awesome awesome singer who is like very classically trained but so good at pop and and especially like soul and he's a phenomenal songwriter in his own right you should go on spotify and look it up it's called the fractured years is his band and the album name and soul and r&b and gospel are, are also his world and so he's got this voice that can just do anything he i first met him as a bass but he can also sing high d's so it's a huge range and a huge mix of colors and so like with an actor that phenomenal we get to like sit there with the hunter and say like we want the hunter to be forward very forward placed but have this like thick vibrato at the top and so in like the bridge of that song it gets what can only be described as metal or in the like musically speaking and he just like soars over the top with this like thick thick vibrato <laughs> thick classical like timeless sound um and yeah, he's just, uh, he's also singing the the track that'll take us out. And it's amazing because he hasn't sung that song for six months. He's sang it in a developmental production in September. Um, and obviously like there were the notes on the page, but we gave him the direction to go somewhere with it and do some things and ad lib a little bit. And I, I sent him the track yesterday morning to record the vocals. And in like one take, he did the exact exact ornamentations exactly as he did it in michigan wow it was, it was just like a, he's like the most brilliantly most consistent 
human being I think I've ever come across. But that's my Ben Roseberry love affair. Um, <laughs> I was I was gonna ask. I was gonna be like, is that fucking George Salazar on this outro track? Because this sounds amazing. And like knowing that it's the guy that we just heard, I'm like, what the fuck? Those voice types are so different. <laughs> I know, right? And he would he does those two songs <laughs> in the same show, in the same 100 uh, minutes. Yeah. And like just before think numbers benedict just before he sings this outro track he sings another song as the hunter that's equally as like rough and raw and big um once again ben rosebury can do anything i have three questions for you benno james do you have any questions because i've been using my time traveling delay powers to my advantage to snip <laughs> in and i feel like i'm bogart in the mic there was something i wanted to zoom in on relatively quickly knowing that we don't kind of have a lot of time but um it seemed when you were kind of going through uh, your career from the very start that um, the role that your parents have played in in getting you into music and and, and keeping you sort of online on track with music um, seems to they seem to have played a, a very large role in that. And you know, you mentioned you were going to quit piano or you know do that. Like, do you have any sort of thoughts on on that? Anything to kind of speak to that? What are, your parents, what are your parents like, Benedict? Yeah. This is very rapidly tended to therapy. No, they, with, I mean, without a doubt, I would not be a musician if it weren't for my parents, period. Um, and, you know, ultimately it's like, you know, a lot of, I, I obviously had the experience that I'm sure a lot of people had where their parents were like, don't go to music school, go get a real degree. And I went and got a real degree. And obviously at the time I was like, nah. <laughs> um but you know darn it my my parents knew what was best and like they set me on the exact path that I needed to be on uh, whether mm. or not they knew that that's what they were doing I'm sure they did um but uh, without a doubt I at my mum's 60th birthday party I, I broke into tears telling the story about how like if it weren't for her I would have quit piano in a second but she mm. wouldn't let me not quit and quite amazingly <laughs> she found like a matter of a couple of months ago and sent me a screenshot of it a letter that she had my piano teacher in chile write for me that to to like recommend me to australian piano teachers that was like benedict has been studying with me for this many months and he's shown um it was like he's shown you know a certain amount of skill and talent and i strongly recommend that he continues uh studying piano if not for his own passion for the passion of his mother <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, and it was just amazing. Yeah, they I, between the two of them, they kind of I I like fully acknowledge my intense privilege in like mm. being born in Australia to like a middle class family with enough money to put me through however many music lessons I wanted, which it just like isn't which is an intense privilege. Um, and you know, I I intend to I I don't intend to abuse that. Um, but yeah, without a doubt, thank you for bringing it up. Shout out to my mom and dad, Leonie Elphinstone, Tony Braxton Smith, uh, doing just like a phenomenal job of forcing me into music because uh, it ultimately was where I was, uh, you know, meant to be, which is funny because neither of them are musicians. But yeah, my, my, both of my grandmothers, my mom's mom was an organist and pianist. Uh, and then on my dad's side, his mother is a, a reasonably renowned actress um, who was in neighbors and country practice but was more passionate about her musical theater career and her sister was a concert pianist wow. and also a musical theater actress um and they both are welsh and have phenomenal voices um and so it obviously skipped a generation and <laughs> landed on this sorry sucker <laughs> but yeah alex um well 
uh, my questions three. Firstly, uh, what now? This is, I I was gonna say, what do you wish someone had told you when you were just starting out? So I guess partially it was like your mum being like, "Do it, do it, do it." So like, other than the wonderful support of your mum, what's something that you wish you knew when you were beginning? Because obviously our listeners are. I mean, it's three seasons in. I'd hope that they've improved a little bit by now. But if if they're still like at gate one, like, what do I do? I can't write songs. What do you (laughs) wish that someone would have said to you when you were feeling that way? Yeah, you can't finish what you don't start. Mm. Big one, um, put it down. First drafts are forgiving. Your first draft sucks, period. No one's written a good first draft. That's the whole point. Mm. First draft isn't meant to be good. It's meant to suck. Um, I'm trying to, I don't want to like resort to, to, to artistic platitudes hmm. uh, also because like i haven't figured it out hmm. you, you know i'm 25 i spent literally an hour last night on the couch curled up in <laughs> the fetal position you know once every like seven minutes just saying out loud i suck oh, uh, you, you know like trying to mix this damn demo it's silly i you know doubt is uh doubt is such an integral part of being an artist uh mm. i can't remember there was something i watched recently where somebody said like i oh it was it was a danny elfman masterclass. he was like i, I don't trust an artist who doesn't doubt themselves uh, <laughs> he was like art without doubt is is untrustworthy and i kind of took it a little further in my mind and i said that like you know doubting yourself means that you're on a frontier uh and like the frontier is where we should always strive to be. Uh, we should always strive to be just like moving forward. As, and I'm talking like individually as people. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not saying that if you doubt yourself, it means that you're about to write Hamilton. <laughs> I'm saying that like if if you doubt yourself, it means that you don't know that you can do what you're about to do, which is exciting because mm-hmm. you get to find out. And I, you know, it is boring to do things that you know you can do. That. Yeah that will get boring quickly it is never boring to stay on the frontier and so like doubt even though it can be crippling and it can be strong you just have to like do it and like something one of my writing professors told me was like listen a right a good writing session doesn't mean that you sat down and wrote nine songs a good writing session can be sitting down and staring out the window for six hours and just thinking about what you're writing Hmm. uh and like if you just turn up then that that can be good enough so i guess that's what i wish someone had told me just like keep turning up and your doubt is not a sign from the universe telling you that you're doing the wrong thing and doubt is telling you you're about to do something exciting (laughs) hell yeah that was a good one that was a good one (laughs) thank you (laughs) um it's always good when when the guest has a good nugget i guess the other thing is and this is a a more personal alexy question um, what was your favorite singer-songwriter's <laughs> band you've ever played with? Yeah. In who, who who did you waste a lot of your talent on for much longer than you should have and retroactively <laughs> making their albums cool by comparison? Um, no, I was going to say, obviously, you work with a lot of incredibly talented singers who do all the noodly bits. And I, I recently recorded with Jen Tree, who's a very talented singer who does all the noodly bits. And yes, indeed, Gentry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you worked with Gentry as well. Um, I know Gentry. She yeah. sang one of my songs. It's yeah. on YouTube. Brisbane. So small. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I feel like I I would have hoped I'd have gotten better at singing over like the fucking ten plus years I've been doing it, and I feel like I still sing with a lot of power and clumsiness. Um, but I've had singing lessons. Do you have? Do you know anyone? It's just like this is just how you sing. Is there any hope for me? 
Or do you know that musicians in New York who started out like ba ba ba, and then they're like ba? What do I do? Because I tried singing lessons and I suck. What's up? I mean, <laughs> Zane and James are looking at me like this is off-air questioning. But there are people listening who feel the same. Loaded question. It's fine. It's a loaded question. Uh, no, no, no. Like, I don't mind if, if this is me, I'll work with what I got. I just want to know, should I, like, you know, should I aim towards being noodly or should I accept that this is how <laughs> I am? should you become an accountant? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm a bad singer. I just think, you know, like, I look the way I do. Should I just accept that this is how I am rather than being sad I'm not something else, you know? Or is so it like this is the way so, you look? Yeah, I was about to say, leave yourself alone. Um, <laughs> would you speak to me like that? No, you wouldn't. Don't speak to yourself like that. Um, yeah, I, there's. I mean, <laughs> not to give you therapy, but there's a there's growth mindset and the static mm. mindset. <laughs> you are clearly expressing some static mindset. <clears throat> well, I, I, about thing. I worry Talk that about the things growth that mindset. everyone should hear at a young age is yeah. that we are we are all working in clay. Mm. Like we, none of us are finished. <laughs> We are always changing and always developing. Every single element of us is always in flux and we are always working in clay. And as long as you keep working, then then it, it will be what it will be. I do not believe, I don't like the word talent because I think it implies a lack of agency in it. I love the word skill. I don't believe that anyone is like born with this like staggering voice. And I think it's a disservice to say to any, to like a 30 year old actor who's got this like remarkable voice to be like, man, you were just born with such talent. 99,000 out of a hundred thousand times. They, are they were not born with that. They fucking worked at it. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, obviously, no, you're not destined <laughs> just like sound you do just you know i took the wrong piano lessons for 10 years i sucked mm. until i took the right piano lessons mm. you know the wrong teacher can will always teach you the wrong thing and it doesn't mean they're a bad teacher it just means they're not meant for you whereas like i found kent and like boom that, that was that was it for me mm. uh you know and i'm sure it's the same Ben Rosebury does singing lessons over Zoom. Get in touch Ooh. with Ben Rosebury. There's a plug. Also, Susan O'Day, two phenomenal uh, singing teachers and actors uh, who go. have the my, two of my favorite voices in on the planet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. <laughs> what a funny question. <laughs> yeah, thank you for answering. I think a, lo a lot of people listening will get a lot of good stuff out of that, including That's me. It. Thank you. Good answer to a good question. Uh, and my final um, question is... Uh, where can people find you if they want to find your stuff? It's the it's the final end of the question. Where we, we start. Oh God! Up. And what do you want us to I know about this song and everything? Notoriously bad at not posting stuff around, uh, but you can find me on Facebook, um, Benedict, as in the eggs or Cumberbatch, Braxton Smith, as in the <laughs> R A X T O N hyphen Smith, the way it's usually spelt. Um, and I'm on Instagram the same way. I literally downloaded a TikTok. I downloaded a TikTok today. I downloaded <laughs> just TikTok. the one. Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> I downloaded TikTok just to watch Gabby's stuff today. Yeah, um, shout out to Gabby. I did not plan to post, but yeah, you can always. And you know, part of my quarantine plan is to fix my website and get it back. But I took it offline quite on purpose because it wasn't up to date. But you can always find me on Facebook, and and get in touch. I swear I'm reasonably friendly. I swear <laughs> I'll, I'll always respond. Um, but yeah, just around Google. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. know. You you know, I I go out and 
instead of like trying to look specifically for something I've done, go out and support the art somewhere near you are. We're all struggling right now. Obviously it goes without saying, and it was bound to come up COVID today it, America time. It was announced that Broadway is now closed until 2021. Um, artists are struggling. Artists are in pain. Um, you know, theater more than any other art is, uh, can only be done in person. It is an art of congregation. Um, mm. So just like get out there and support and and do and make. And if you're ever in the states, you know, look me up and like if I'm doing something, I'll get you a ticket. And you can come like hang out or you know, get in touch with me. And if you're in the same town as the Mean Girls tour, come sit in the pit with us. It's a bunch of fun. <laughs> Hell yeah! Awesome. Uh, and oh oh no, I was meant to, I was going to plug something. Oh, here we go. I, I orchestrated a a show called uh, the anxiety project that has was produced last year in tokyo and late last year in at arizona state university up the road in phoenix um and has been produced in various places in the city as well has been developed and we just did a cast recording uh it's written by rachel dean and david brush it uh examines uh, mental health and young adults uh, and it's very powerful and down to earth and and very real and and describes a lot of things in very beautiful ways that haven't been described like that before and it's very humanist uh and that cast recording will drop uh on spotify late uh july probably and you should check it out the anxiety project very proud very excellent um it's something people should hear heck yeah so good check nice. it out well james and me where can we find our stuff <laughs> yeah tell me about um, your stuff where can i find you guys yeah absolutely so i'm i'm just on the all the basics i'm on instagram at the james keogh that's the the word the uh james the way it's always spelled in keogh k-e-h-o-e i'm there on instagram and twitter i don't really use twitter all that often but you know not to be I, confused with the other james keogh which no, is exactly. my twitter handle yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> the other one and uh how about yourself alex <laughs> Uh, I'm Alex Smith. Uh, I'm a musician under the name Your Man Alex Smith because Alex Smith is far too common in search engines. Uh, but yeah, if you like my stuff, if you want to have a listen to my music, uh, it's on Bandcamp, Spotify, and iTunes. I've also got a, a Patreon up recently, which has helped me uh, record my my big 10-track feature-length album, which is going to sound sick. And uh, if you want to hear some of Benno's work, uh, Mr. Heads and Tails, the theme tune of our show, uh, features uh, orchestration and arrangement from Benno himself. Uh, he did all the the clarinet and the trumpet and the trombone, and then we got someone in to play it. And also, he arranged the the vocals uh, for the of the choir on my song "Guilty." And he also played with me for many years, but we don't have any recordings of that, unfortunately. <laughs> two facts that I had completely forgotten. Before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I count them in my biography. You're a chapter <laughs> in mine, man. You, no, you're in my. You're still in my uh, extended CV. I, I just forgot about it. Fuck <laughs> yes, a bad friend. I love it because someone's gonna be like, you know, Bennett. He he played on this fucking thing, and they're like, no, he fucking didn't. Don't say he did. It's like, no, I swear to God, check the show notes. Like, what the fuck? It's like Alan Menken <laughs> hanging out with fucking. I can't think of someone low enough. Alan <laughs> Menken hanging out with your man Alex Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. No. Very flattering. Well, I hope that anyone who came here for Benno enjoyed this format. You know, we want to keep doing this. And my, 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 I have another friend in America. He's an artist. End of Days on Mars. Shout out to him. I asked him for some artists in America that we can get in touch with, and he he gave me a bunch. So oh, fantastic. Yeah, we've got some cool guests coming up. I will also happily connect you with any American artist 
but I know. Amazing. Do you know Hamilton? Um, do you know? Yeah. Hamilton? Have you met Hamilton? Hamilton? I can't believe you met <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> I'll have to. I do have to do a quick shout out to the T-shirt group. Uh, hashtag Ted for president. Uh, <laughs> let's just make sure that gets in. I want them to sure. hear that. Absolutely, <laughs> nice. fantastic. Um, and if you have enjoyed this show, um, we are on also, you know, all the usuals, my songs suck on Instagram and Facebook and yeah. Thank you so much, Benno, for coming on. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Um, and to set up this song that you guys are going to play on the way out, um, Mm -hmm. at this point in the show, Lev, our father uh, has, uh, hit a point where he has very much so embraced his mortality and is very accepting of the fact that he's going to die and is looking at the pragmatics of it. And his daughter's uh, estranged mother is at the hospital and he approaches her and she's never been able to connect with her daughter um, because of how she's designed as a person. Uh, and she's very pragmatic and and follows follows directions. Uh, she struggles with, with people and doesn't understand their, their tempo particularly. Um, and so Lev takes her to the roof and pleads with her to look after his daughter when he's gone uh, and kind of sets out how. And it's sung by the inimitable Ben Rosebury. All right, let's check it out. This is Please Don't Let Her Cry. I need you to be there, really be there for her. Lev, you heard her. She doesn't want me. Please, just... Pick out a chapel, pick out a song, pick out some stories, don't make them too long. She will be brave, she will be strong when it's time to say her goodbye. Let her speak, let her scream, let her sleep, let her dream, but please... Please don't let her cry Go through the photos Take half a day Put them in boxes And pack them away Keep one or two Out on display So I'll be there As time passes by Let her laugh Let her smile Reminisce for a while But please Please don't let her cry Cause I I need to know When my time is over Her life will go on And I I need to know tried this. I'm not designed to be a... (laughs) She is so much like you, you know? You both have your little tics. Like, when you're struggling, you pull at your hair. She splays her hands out by her side like she's looking for someone, something, anything to hold on to. And when she needs me the most, I'll be gone. Just please hold her hand, hold it tight, 
hold her till it's all right. But please, please. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.